God is glorious in his saints. Welcome to the Christian Saints Podcast. My name is Darren Ong, recording from Sepang in Malaysia. In this podcast, we explore the lives of the Christian saints, from the Anglican, Roman Catholic, and Eastern Orthodox traditions. Today, we will celebrate St. Theodora the Empress, also known as St. Theodora the Iconodule. To clear up some confusion, there are two saints called St. Theodora the Empress. One lived in the 6th century and was the wife of the Emperor Justinian. The other lived in the 9th century and was the wife of the Emperor Theophilus. We will be talking about the second one, who is also known as St. Theodora, the Iconodule. Iconodule is a Greek word meaning one who serves icons. Sometimes the word iconophile, lover of icons, is used instead. Icons refer to images of Jesus Christ and the saints that Christians venerate a practice that has its roots in the oldest Christian traditions. Icon veneration reflects the reality of Christian incarnation, the idea that Jesus Christ came to earth fully human and fully divine. So whereas in the Old Testament, God could not be depicted, with the incarnation of Christ, God has a human face that can be made into an image. Of course, Christians do not worship these icons. We say that we venerate them instead, and Christian theologians are always careful to distinguish between the worship of God and the veneration of icons. Saint Theodora was empress of the Byzantine Empire, at a time when the iconoclast heresy was very powerful. The iconoclasts believed that Christians should not venerate icons. The leaders of the Christian church gathered in the Seventh Economical Council in 787 in the city of Nicaea, affirming that icon veneration was proper, and thus declaring that iconoclasm was a heresy. Here is a statement from that council. As the sacred and life-giving cross is everywhere set up as a symbol, so also should the images of Jesus Christ, the Virgin Mary, the holy angels, as well as those of the saints, and other pious and holy men be embodied in the manufacture of sacred vessels, tapestries, vestments, etc., and exhibited on the walls of churches, in the homes, and in all conspicuous places, by the roadside and everywhere, 
to be revered by all who might see them. For the more they are contemplated, the more they move to fervent memory of their prototypes. Therefore, it is proper to accord to them a fervent and reverent veneration, not, however, the veritable adoration, which, according to our faith, belongs to the divine being alone. For the honor accorded to the image passes over to its prototype, and whoever venerates the image venerates in it the reality of what is there represented. St. John of Damascus was one of the many theologians who wrote against the iconoclast heresy, and he explained that to venerate icons is to affirm that the material world is good. Thus, to oppose icon veneration invites the false teaching of dualism, the idea that the material world is evil and only the spiritual can be good. Here is a sample of his writings defending the use of icons. I honor all matter and venerate it. Through it, filled as it were, with a divine power and grace, my salvation has come to me. Was the three times happy and blessed wood of the cross not matter? Was the sacred and holy mountain of Calvary not matter? What of the life-giving rock, the holy tomb, the source of our resurrection? Was it not matter? Is the holy book of the Gospels not matter? Is the blessed table which gives us the bread of life not matter? Are the gold and silver out of which crosses and altar plate and chalices are made not matter? And before all these things, is not the body and blood of our Lord matter? Either stop venerating all these things, or submit to the tradition of the Church in the venerating of images, honouring God and His friend, and following in this the grace of the Holy Spirit. Do not despise matter, for it is not despicable. Nothing that God has made is. Only that which does not come from God is despicable. Our own invention, the spontaneous decision to disregard the law of human nature. In other words, sin. Nevertheless, the iconoclasts became very powerful in the Byzantine Empire in the 8th and 9th centuries. Several of the Byzantine emperors were iconoclasts. One of the reasons this heresy gained traction was the growing influence of Islam. The Arabs were ascendant in this time period, often winning battles against the Byzantines. Islam strictly prohibits the use of images, which makes sense for their theology. They don't believe that God came in the form of a man, 
So of course, it would be impossible to create an image that depicts God. But this theology started to influence Christians in the Byzantine Empire as well. The Muslims also exerted economic influence. They would refuse to use Byzantine coinage because they had images of Christ on them. And thus, there were strong worldly reasons for Byzantine Christians to abandon the orthodox practice of icon veneration and embrace this iconoclast heresy. Curiously, while several Roman emperors fell for this iconoclast heresy, the women around them often did not, and firmly defended the veneration of icons. Saint Theodora is a foremost example, but we should also mention Saint Irene of Athens. Both her husband, Emperor Leo IV, and her son, Emperor Constantine VI, were iconoclasts, but she herself was a fervent defender of icons. And in fact, the Seventh Economical Council, affirming icon veneration, was called when she was in charge of the empire, during a period of regency for her son Constantine. Linda Garland's book, Byzantine Empresses, Women and Power in Byzantium, AD 527-1204, explores the vital role of women in defeating this iconoclast heresy. Here is an excerpt. Women seem to have been particularly attached to the veneration of icons, not merely because they were less likely to be able to read the scriptures, but because of the nature of their employments at home. The veneration of the Theotokos, this is Mary, intensified in the empire in the late 6th and early 7th century, and she was adopted as the especial protectress of Constantinople. This expansion of the cult of the Virgin was at least in part the result of women's devotion to the Mother of God, to whom Irene was to dedicate her convent on the island of Principo. The lepers of Theodore the Studite document a number of iconophile women during the second iconoclast phase, which commenced in 815, who remain loyal to the veneration of icons when their husbands or fellow monks apostatized. One of his correspondents was Mary of Amnia. Iconophilism is especially evident among royal women. Theodosia, widow of Leo V, converted to orthodoxy, and for this was exiled by Michael II. And Irene, Mary of Amnia, Euphrosyne, Theodora, and, surprisingly, Irene, the first wife of Constantine V, are just some examples of imperial women who were said to have been devoted to icon worship. The first half of the 9th century is also a period when female hymnographers briefly flourished. Cassia, Theodosia, and Thecla. Theodora, like Irene, was so highly regarded by later generations 
that she was canonized by the church for restoring orthodoxy. Saint Theodora was born in Abyssa, in Paphlagonia, a region that is in modern-day Turkey by the Black Sea. She was probably of Armenian origin and the daughter of an army officer. In the year 830, she was chosen to be the bride of the Emperor Theophilus. Theophilus was tutored under the iconoclast priest John the Grammarian, and so became a fervent iconoclast. Nevertheless, it is believed that Theophilus's mother, Euphrosyne, was an iconodule, and so made sure that he ended up marrying Theodora. The marriage ended up producing two sons and many daughters. However, Theophilus's persecution of the iconodules persisted and increased in ferocity. Some accounts state that St. Euthemius of Sardis, one of the prominent Christian leaders of the Seventh Economical Council that condemned iconoclasm, was imprisoned and tortured to death under the rule of Theophilus. In 833, Theophilus issued an edict ordering the arrest of iconodule clergy who would not bend to his will, and that anyone who sheltered them to have their property confiscated. In 838, Theophilus appointed his mentor, the iconoclast fanatic John the Grammarian, as Patriarch of Constantinople. The empire fell further into the clutches of the heretics, and Theophilus ordered icons to be desecrated, destroyed, and plastered over. Theophilus imprisoned a famous iconographer, Lazarus, and on discovering that he was still painting icons in prison, had his hands branded with red-hot plates. Nevertheless, throughout all this, his wife, Saint Theodora, remained in the true Orthodox Christian faith, and continued to venerate icons and teach her children to do the same. This naturally resulted in strains in their marriage. One account states that Theophilus fell into a rage when his youngest daughter, too innocent to recognize the danger, told him she kissed icons when visiting her grandma's monastery. According to another account, Theodora herself was subject to her husband's wrath. This quote is from Linda Garland's book. The story is also told that Theodora kept icons in her bedroom in Theophilus' lifetime. The emperor's jester, named Dendiris, was said to have burst into Theodora's bedchamber one day, where he found her reverently lifting icons to her eye. Theodora explained that they were dolls, whom she loved dearly, but going to the emperor who was at dinner, Dendiris told him of the pretty dolls he had seen nurse, that is Theodora, taking out from a cushion. 
Theophilus understood the allusion and sought out Theodora to shout at her. Theodora, however, explained that she and her maids were looking in a mirror and Dendiris had mistaken their reflections. Dendiris, when later asked by Theophilus if he had seen Nurse kissing any more dolls, put one hand to his lips and the other to his behind and asked him not to mention them again. Theophilus was also an unfaithful husband. At one point, conducting an affair with one of his wife's attendants. However, Theophilus died in the year 842, at the age of only 29, having contracted dysentery. His successor was the two-year-old Michael. And so his mother, St. Theodora, assumed control of the empire as regent. She would be in power until 856 when her son turned 16. Aided by her trusted eunuch, Theoctistos, St. Theodora was a wise and capable ruler, and the Byzantine Empire prospered when she was in charge. Theodora, in 856, is said to have been able to show the Senate 190,000 pounds of gold and 300,000 pounds of silver. Her regency was also successful militarily. Commanded by her eunuch Theoctistos, the Byzantine army won several battles against the Arabs, recapturing Christian lands lost to the Muslim invaders. In 843, she called a council that deposed Patriarch John the Grammarian, her husband's old mentor, replacing him with the iconodule Saint Methodius, who was a close spiritual advisor to Theodora. John the Grammarian was exiled to a monastery when he told a servant to poke out the eyes of an icon there. Saint Theodora ordered that he be whipped with 200 lashes. Pious, iconodule monks, priests, and bishops, exiled by her husband, were returned to their posts, and icons and other religious images were restored in churches, monasteries, and other buildings throughout the empire. Most prominently, on Chalka Gate, the main entrance to the great palace of Constantinople, Theodora built a full-length mosaic of Christ. Supposedly, the artist she commissioned for this was Lazarus, the iconographer who had been tortured by her husband. A 29-line epigram by the patriarch Methodius was etched by that mosaic of Christ. Seeing thy stainless image, O Christ, and thy cross figured in relief, I worship and reverence thy true flesh, for being the word of the Father, timeless by nature, thou wast born, mortal by nature and in time, to a mother. Hence, in circumscribing and portraying thee in images, I do not circumscribe thy immaterial nature, for that is above 
representation and vicissitude. But in representing thy vulnerable flesh, O word, I pronounce thee uncircumscribable as God. Refuting the iconoclast emperor's lawless error, the empress Theodora, guardian of the faith, with her scions arrayed in purple and gold, emulating the pious among emperors, and shown to be the most pious of them. All has re-erected it with righteous intent at this gate of the palace, to her own glory, praise, and fame, to the dignity of the entire church, to the full prosperity of the human race, to the fall of malevolent enemies and barbarians. iconoclast heresy would never again threaten the Byzantine Empire and the Eastern Orthodox Church, although it would re-emerge in the West after the Protestant Reformation. To celebrate Theodora's victory over the heretics, in the first Sunday of Lent, Orthodox Christians commemorate the Sunday of Orthodoxy. Typically, this celebration would include a procession where the faithful will march around the church, holding up their icons. Here are the troparian and contakian for this Sunday of Orthodoxy. We venerate your most pure image, O good one, and ask forgiveness of our transgressions, O Christ God. Of your own will, you were pleased to ascend the cross in the flesh, to deliver your creatures from bondage to the enemy. Therefore, with thanksgiving we cry aloud to you. You have filled all with joy, O our Saviour, by coming to save the world. No one could describe the word of the Father, but when he took flesh from you, O Theotokos, he accepted to be described and restored the fallen image to its former state by uniting it to divine beauty. We confess and proclaim our salvation in word and images. While Theodora's spiritual legacy is forever assured, her dynastic legacy unfortunately ended with her son, Michael. Michael was a naive fool. He had an affair with Eudokia Ingerina, a woman at the imperial court. Eudokia was unacceptable to Theodora and Theoctistos, and so Michael was made to marry another woman instead. In revenge, Michael plotted to have the wise minister, Theoctistos, killed. The assassination of her closest advisor weakened Theodora's power, and her son assumed full control of the empire as the Emperor Michael III. Michael soon got outplayed in a tragic game of court intrigue. 
a man named Basil, of peasant origin, gained his favor, and quickly rose up the ranks of the Byzantine court, even marrying Michael's mistress, Eudokia Ingerina. Saint Theodora warned her son of how dangerous the ambitious Basil was, but Michael ignored her wise advice. Basil's influence grew to the point that Michael named him co-emperor in 866. A year later, Basil betrayed him and had him killed, becoming sole emperor of the Byzantine Empire. Saint Theodora would pass away soon after. She was made a saint in the Orthodox Church, commemorated on February the 11th. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Christian Saints Podcast. Look for the Christian Saints Podcast page on Facebook or Instagram, or find us on Twitter at podcast underscore saint. All music in this episode was composed by my good friend, James John Marks of Generative Sounds. Please check out his music at generativesoundsjjm.bandcamp.com. To end this episode, let us read the Troparian and Kontakian for Saint Theodora the Empress, which Orthodox Christians pray to commemorate her feast day on February the 11th. As a right-worthy namesake of gifts, bestowed of God, and a divinely wrought image of holy wisdom and faith, Thou didst make the Christian Church to shine with godly piety, for Thou didst demonstrate to all that the saints in every age have shown honour to the icons. O Theodora, Thou righteous and fair adornment of the Orthodox! We sing thy praises as the gem and fairness of the church and as a diadem and pattern of all Christian queens, O all-lauded and divinely crowned Theodora, for in bringing back the icons to their rightful place, thou didst cast usurping heresy out of the church. Hence we cry to thee, Rejoice, O sovereign, most venerable. Thank you.